You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast with service members from across the military sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Before we get to this week's guest, who's a gold star spouse of a very unique and particular individual uh, in military lore throughout the war on terror. We'll get to her in just a moment. First, our normal announcements. Please follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hazard Ground and Hazard Ground Podcast. Uh, continue to leave us comments. Leave us uh, five-star ratings anywhere you give us reviews, particularly Apple Podcasts. It'll help grow the show. Uh, it doesn't have to be a lengthy review. Tell us why you love the show. We certainly appreciate hearing from you guys and all the support that you've given to the show. Our promotion with Amazon continues. Uh, if you'd like to do any Amazon shopping, go to our website first, hazardground.com. Click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage. It'll redirect you to Amazon. You can do all of your normal Amazon shopping, whatever you're going to buy. Uh, we will get a percentage of what you guys spend, and then we donate a percentage of that back to some of the charities and organizations you've heard featured here on the show. So it's a great way to help out veterans, charities, military charities, just by doing your normal Amazon shopping. Also works from your smartphone. Very convenient, very easy. It'll redirect you to their app. So if you save all your credit card information, just go to hazardground.com first and uh, click on the that Amazon button, and it will absolutely uh, help out veterans everywhere. So we appreciate all the support. And then as well, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give a thumbs up, smash that like button uh, to all the content that you see there. We appreciate uh, all the support on the YouTube channel as well as we're continuing to grow there, getting close to 4,000 subscribers. So please continue to subscribe, tell a friend uh, about the Hazard Ground YouTube channel. All right, this week's guest uh, is a Gold Star spouse. And full disclosure, uh, I, I am almost kind of ashamed to admit it because I did not know her husband's story. Uh, I learned about the story, and you may know the name when I say it, or the moniker, the Lion of Fallujah. Uh, I stumbled across just doing some research and looking for other guests, and I did not know who this individual was. And then I started reading, and then I started reading more, and then I started finding out more and watching more videos. And I'm wondering to myself, as somebody who's done this show for over 300 episodes, why have I never told this story yet? Why have I not even heard about the Lion of Fallujah? Uh, and the Lion of Fallujah, his name is Doug Zembeck. Uh, he was killed in action on May 11, 2007. Um, conducting operations in Iraq, uh, and here to tell his story and her own personal story and her journey since his loss is his wife, Pamela Zembeck. She joins us here on the Hazard Ground. Pamela, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Uh, the Lion of Fallujah. It's a name that you'll never forget once you hear it. Uh, and again, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we've told so many stories of, of, combat and survival on the show and even stories of loss. And you're not the first gold star, you know, family member, spouse, you know, loved one that we've had on the show. And, and sadly to say, you probably won't be the last, but you know, Doug holds a very uh, interesting place in military lore. And, and I, I mean this genuinely. Um, I have not come across stories of an individual who I have resoundingly heard and seen so many people speak about, in a manner in which they speak about Doug. Like, you know, I mean, the one name that popped into my head initially, believe it or not, was, was Pat Tillman uh, mm -hmm. and the way that people spoke about him. But they spoke about him that way because he was a football player. Now, Pat was a very unique individual, and I, I, I have had a chance to speak with a lot of people who've served with him. And the way they talk about him and the kind of the way his mind works and the way he was built was very unique. Football was something that was sort of secondary to Pat. But it's that same sort of way that people have spoken about Doug and continue mm -hmm. to speak about Doug to this day you know, 16 years later, um, mm -hmm. that I think really resonates with me and wanting to share his story 
Uh, and, and, you know, as I told you before we started recording, I, I want to sort of create this little mini series within the hazard ground, the line of illusion, just to get with, with people who have, who served with Doug and, and know his story and, and, and are willing to share it because, uh, he's such a profound individual. Uh, and that's not me. That's just the way people have spoken about him. Friends, colleagues, teammates, uh, service members, you know, uh, uh re- retired service members, people in government. I mean, I don't know how much solace it still gives you all these years later, but especially yeah. for somebody new like me, who's just coming across Doug's story. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm only sad. I never got a chance to cross paths with him. Yeah. I'm sad for you too, Mark. <laughs> I, uh, no, it's, it's very humbling. I mean, like I tell a lot of people, if Doug were alive today, he would be like, what's the fuss about? Like, well i'm not so great he would tell he would say that everyone else is better than he is because he was just so humble but self-confident and i feel in this world in this day and age we we are lack we lack a lot of that in many um in our society so like i think that's why he is represented so well as even 16 years later it's it's interesting that you say 16 years because um one of my best girlfriends she is a military spouse her husband retired navy seal captain and they were the first couple I called after Doug passed away. I was like, I don't know what to do. I know that they had dealt with loss before and, and, um, and some of Bob's guys that were, that passed away a couple of years before Doug. And so I called her and I'm like, you know, Cindy, what do I do? And she just was like, you know, it'll be okay. And then I, she came to his funeral and she said, Pam, it's, it's going to be a lot of stuff right now. The first year, there's going to be a lot of ceremonies. There's going to be a lot of people wanting to talk to you about Doug and his memory and, and, um, and so forth. And I was like, okay, because I don't think I could do this all the time. Well, um, the exact opposite has happened. I feel like every year something else is created in his name and his honor. Someone is doing a run. There's an award ceremony named after him. I get invited there like this, just this past year the military bowl at the Naval Academy was dedicated to him. They flew the gold star flag in and Fallon and I were able to go to the Academy and be guests of honor at at that game. So it is just, uh, it's, it's so many events all the time. So honestly, I have to take a step back. Sometimes I have to say no, because it does, it rips open that bandage a little too much. And um, in May, I I have to say like, (sighs) In my yard, I have this peonies bush, and this is the only way I can describe it. And once the peonies starts to um, come out of the ground, beginning of spring, I know it's the time, the time of the year when it's going to start again, like the ceremonies, the at, at the anniversary of his death, for, foremost, uh, the birth of our daughter, March, was the last day I saw him alive. Then his birthday is April 14th. Then our wedding anniversary is April 30th. Then he was killed in combat on May 11th. And then we have Memorial Day. So it's a big deal in spring. Spring's rough on our family. And even though it's been 16 years, uh, the wound is still there. And it just gets reopened, honestly. I mean, it's it's very, it's awesome. It's nice. But, and I love that his legacy has, has been such an inspiration to so many others. But sometimes military families, military gold star families and surviving family members need to just say no sometimes. And, yeah. and that can ease a little bit of the pain. Yeah. You know, again, there's, um, it's interesting just a, a week ago, I interviewed another gold star spouse mm-hmm. uh, and that wasn't planned. It was just kind of timing when people were available. Sure. But, you know, one of the things that she had mentioned to me was in retrospect, she wishes she would have given herself more time. 
she wishes that she would have, you know, mm-hmm. instead of being the one who was standing up and, you know, comforting others and saying it's okay and, you know, understanding and trying to be at the mm-hmm. forefront because her husband was, you know, also a, a major who had responsibilities to the unit and everything else. And she wanted yeah. to present herself the right way as if her husband would present himself in front of a formation that there was so much, um, for lack of a better term, duty that she had to fulfill Mm-hmm. In for for being passed on that she never got a chance to just say no and give herself some time to decompress and grieve and everything else early on and and mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah I, I can't listen I mean it, it, time does not heal all wounds right like there's, yeah, <laughs> there's definitely not <laughs> there's, when it comes to this there isn't anything that makes any of this easier you just learn to sort of live with normal uh, each day in a different different manner where it's somewhat mm-hmm. tolerable uh, yeah. so you know I I, I understand that you have to say no and uh with that i graciously graciously appreciate you taking time to to speak with me so i oh, yeah. it was, <laughs> uh, it's, it's june mark it's june 28th so yeah, we're, we're, we're well past that <laughs> i forgot to mention the intro by the way you do have a book out there selfless beyond service the story about a husband son and father behind the line of fallujah that you wrote uh, i think yeah. it's worth mentioning to everybody else and you're also currently working uh with the third option foundation which provides support services for um, special operators and CIA paramilitary operators and in that community. So, uh, and we'll, we'll understand that a little bit better as we go along here, but uh, despite all the talking we have done, we always typically like to start back at the beginning with our veterans and ask them how they got sure. in the military, but I'll start back sure. with you when, when you met Doug sure. and, and how that whole thing began. Ooh, I met Doug um, in Virginia beach. Uh, you know, the typical love story of the military spouse and, meeting at a bar, <laughs> um, especially in Virginia yeah. beach. It, it's, it's, it was, it wasn't any, it wasn't a spectacular meeting. Like I just, he just saw me at, at this bar one night called the hot tuna. It's a big, it's a big place that people hang out. I don't know. Have you heard of that place? Have you been to Virginia beach? Do you know? I, not, you know I've never been to this. <laughs> I've never been to Virginia beach. I've, I've been to Roanoke and that's about it. So. Okay. Okay. So you're not familiar with the hot tuna. Oh, um, no. However, yeah, it's a, it's very, very popular. So we were there on an off night. I met him that night and ended up not, uh, he, he gave me his number because I wouldn't give him mine. <laughs> and then I never called him. And this is the ironic part. Like I ran into him again, like four months later at a different place at, at, a, at um, an outside event. And I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, why don't you just give him a chance? So yeah, we, we dated, we met in 2001 in Virginia Beach, had a very crazy like first year of dating. Um, and then we got married after he went, after he got back from Fallujah in, um, 2004. So we set the wedding day before he left and got married. Probably he, they got back in October of 2004. And then we got married in April of 2005. But talk about a guy that uh, he, he, I'm sure you've read so many things that you've read a lot of things about him, but that guy had a way to, to talk you into things that you didn't think you could ever do. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, like He was uh, not short of motivation. That's, that, that's for sure. Uh, to say the yeah. least. Um, yeah. you, now you met pre nine 11, right? Yes. Um, oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah. there's a couple of things that play here. Like one prior to nine 11, were you like, I'm not interested in military guys. Like I don't want that life. Or was there any sort of preconceived notion about the military man? Um, well, being in Virginia beach, you really have to be careful of Navy SEALs. 
<laughs> so um, I like my whole, like I, I had just moved there. I moved back. I, I'd been with a pharmaceutical company and I got transferred to Virginia beach with my company. And so I was like, um, I think I'm going to stay away from Navy SEALs. My friends, when I got there were like, do not date a Navy SEAL. Don't do it. So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to date a Navy SEAL. But lo and behold, I end up meeting a force recon Marine, which in fact was probably a little bit more of a situational um, danger in the military than dating a Navy SEAL. But he was probably one of maybe 10 Marines in the entire Virginia Beach. And that's who I meet. And my dad was like, because my dad was, I, I, I'm from a military family. My dad was in the Air Force for 25 years. And when I told him I met a Marine and we were dating, he was like, um, really, you're dating a Marine? <laughs> that He goes, the, the Marine Corps is first to them, the Marine Corps is first. And and yes, that is so true. But I mean, but when Doug was home, like we were first. So I have to say, if you're going to be, if you decide to date and marry someone in the military, you have to have a certain type of military mindset yourself. You have to be ready. You have to be independent. You have to be willing to sacrifice along with them. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice birthdays alone. You sacrifice anniversaries alone. But it, it's worth it because if it wasn't for our guys over there fighting overseas and keeping our country safe, then we wouldn't have the democracy and the freedoms that we are so fortunate to live with in our country. And I knew of the possibility of death, of him dying. But if you would have met Doug and would have known Doug and would have spent 10 minutes with Doug, you would have been like, no way someone is going to be able to kill this guy. Like he can totally take care of himself. Like he could probably take, he could probably take care of a thousand terrorists all by himself, which he probably did, but we just haven't heard of um, in the secret somewhere. But, um, but yeah, so. I mean, I, I got, I got chills when you said that a little bit, like, you know, uh, when you talk about there's no way they could take out Doug and, and, you know, that's the mortality of combat that is ever mm -hmm. present. Um, and you sure. realize it very quickly that, you know, even larger than life personalities. And I, I always ask this a lot when I talk to Navy SEALs, I asked a lot about, you know, when they were going through buds and, you know, sort of do like a scan of the room be like, yo, there's no way that guy's not getting through this course. Yeah. You have that initial reaction. And then they drop yeah. and you're like, whoa, uh, yeah. how am I going to get through this if they're, if they're walking out on their own kind of deal? So I certainly yeah. understand that sentiment. Um, could you tell from the beginning how much Doug loved the craft of leadership and being in the military. Oh yes. 100%. I mean, he, that's, I mean, cause when I read about I mean, it, that comes to the forefront, right? I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. Doug was, Doug wasn't just, and I've said this a number of occasions and I believe I did write this in my book. Doug wasn't just a Marine. He was the Marine. I mean, for example, um, he, on his birthday, on April 14th, I, I forgot to, to, he was overseas and I forgot to say happy birthday, Doug. We talked on the phone for like an hour and I didn't say happy birthday to my husband. And he called back the next day and I apologized. And he said, oh, that's okay, hon. He's like, I, he goes, babe, it doesn't matter. The day I became a Marine on November 11th, November 10th, excuse me, was the day that I was born. And was able to lead men in battle. Now, I mean, from the beginnings of our relationship, like he never told me he went to the Naval Academy. Like it was always about the Marine Corps. It was always about 
leading from the front, being a leader, not a follower, being humble, but self-confident. Um, there's nothing more brave than laying down your life for, for your brother. Um, and he's, he's like, I would never expect anyone to do anything that I wouldn't do. And of course, I'll never expect my Marines to do anything I would not do with them. And so it was all about him. And I mean, and honestly, Mark, he probably would have went right into the Marine Corps and enlisted if he could have led Marines in battle and with with an enlisted status. But of course, we know you have to be an officer to be the leader. Um, and so he he chose the greatest military academy, in my opinion, and in, in, his, in the United States Naval Academy. But, uh, sorry. He's an army guy here. I'll, I'll, I'll consciously... I'm, okay. But that's okay. Uh, why do you think he never told you about him going to the Naval Academy? Oh. I, mean, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why. I, like, we dated for six months. Six months. And there was a picture of him in a wrestling singlet hanging in the back of his, like, closet. And I'm like, what is this? And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I wrestled for the Academy. And I was like, you went to the Naval Academy? And he's like, yeah, I graduated from there in 95. And I'm just like, why have you never... I went to the Naval Academy and, and you went to the Naval Academy. He's like, because it doesn't matter now. I went there to become a Marine and I'm a Marine now. And that's what my focus is to be a Marine and to lead men in battle. And that is all he cared about. He didn't, he didn't care about having the Naval. I mean, he loved, believe me, his best friends were, that were his buddies he graduated with from the Marine Corps. And I mean, from the Naval Academy, excuse me. And, you know, he, but he didn't really focus his attention. He knew that the, he, he knew that the Naval Academy wrestling was his first step to becoming the best leader of Marines. So he could develop mental toughness through the perseverance and the training and the physical like uh, abilities, like the, the losing weight, the gaining weight, the, the staying in shape, the, the physical toughness uh, pr promotes mental, mental, the, the brain and body connection. He believed in all that. But being a wrestler was his first step. The second step was getting into the Naval Academy. Now, he did go, he did apply to the other academies too, but he knew the Naval Academy was the one where he could be the best, be, uh, be taught to be the best Marine, leader of Marines. Um, but that was just a stepping stone for him to develop the skills to be the Marine, the, the leader of men in the Marine Corps. So, um, so yeah, I, I, just, I just think that that was a, a means that was yeah. a meme. Um, there's a great anecdotal story that I'd, I'd like to share real quick. I, obviously, I, I assume you know it, but I saw yeah. this online that while he was at the Naval Academy, um, Doug had an American flag sewn into the back of his singlet on yes. his back for two reasons. One, um, he never wanted the American flag to be on its back, meaning that if he was on his back, the American flag was on its back, and that would motivate him to never get pinned, which I thought <laughs> – I mean, look, for an yeah. 18, 19-year-old yeah. kid, even if you're at the a military academy, to have that sort of thought process is pretty profound. If you, Like, at 18, 19 years old, I was playing college athletics, too. Yeah. I, I, that, would have, that would have never entered my, my thought process. You know, he was just different, Mark. Like, there was something so different about this guy. Like, he was, he was a modern-day King Leonidas, in my opinion. I mean, he just, he, well, of course, his, his number one movie was Gladiator. And then, and then when, what was the other one that came that, uh, oh, oh, the 300, 300. The last movie, that was the last movie we saw together before he left. Yeah. I mean, 
obsessed with 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 the Romans. He was obsessed with just the Spartan leadership, Spartan mentality, Gates of Fire, read over and over again. All of all of those novels like that related to um, the Spartan culture and and you know and and on Mother's Day, like the first year that I became a mother, he wrote me a very long letter and he said that the reason he married me was because he knew that I would be able to raise Spartan children. I mean, I. I really, I, I, it's, a, it's an amazing letter. I, I think it's, a, I, yeah, I mean, like. How does the first time mother respond that I'm supposed to raise Spartan children? Exactly. Like, okay, okay, okay. And, and he was like, okay, so you have a mesomorphic body. Like I, before we even like, before we even went on like a fourth date, I was like in an FBI interview, like, okay, what is your fertility status? How many, what are, what are your, um, how, did your mother get pregnant right away? Yeah. Um, did your, your sisters have babies? Did they have any problems getting pregnant? Um, oh, what about your health? Do you have, do you have any, any history of this illness or that? Did you wear glasses? Like, he, like all, like this entire, like physical that he was giving me. And so he knew that I was going to give birth to healthy children. <laughs> that is awesome and uh effective all at the same time uh it, it, yeah. nowadays if you do that on a date you'll probably be arrested um but neither <laughs> there i mean i would assume the only doug could pull that that round of questioning off of a certain level of a plum that not many people could well it was during like a really nice dinner that he had taken me out to and, and bought me probably a really nice bottle of wine so the conversation was flowing and comfortable at that point got it okay <laughs> smart, smart move. Doug, uh, and ask offensive <laughs> questions after alcohol is involved. Noted. Got it. Um, that's incredible. You know, I, I mean, did, did any of that stuff like that, did that enhance your connection with him? I mean, how does it resonate with you in retrospect? I mean, because it, I, I feel like a lot of people would forget off-putting or offensive. Like, it's just yeah. intense, right? Like, it's very, you know, I have yeah. a plan. And I want you part of this plan and you're going to follow me kind of deal. And don't ask questions because I got this. Most people, even males would be like, settle down there, guy, relax. You know, like, so did none of that ever sort of turned you off? I'm telling you, he had a way, he had a way to make, he, he was very like the way I described it did not even tip, give you the tip of the iceberg of the finesse that this man had to talk you into doing things that you didn't think you could do. Like, he, like I, I didn't, like, when I look back on it now, I'm like, I was kind of getting interrogated. But the way that he did it, I was like, he was really cute too. And he was very intelligent. And like, our conversation was flowing. It wasn't like forced. It wasn't like question, 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 question. It was kind of like he had like a finesse to ask them where it didn't feel like I was being interrogated. And it felt almost like, yeah, I want to be on your team. I'm going to be your wife. I'm going to bear your children. <laughs> like, I can do it. I know I can do it. <laughs> uh, that goes back to the be be humble but self-confident kind of deal, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, that's a little bit of foreshadowing for the audience. Doug had a, a list of things that, uh, yeah. you know, sayings and leadership phrases. Mm-hmm. Be humble but self-confident was one of them. And uh, we'll, we'll get to the list coming up here uh, later on. I think it's it's very poignant and, and, and appropriate to discuss. But uh, so you guys start this relationship. 9-11 yeah. happens. This yep. is a guy, you know, that as much as he's in love with you and in love with the Marines, he's in love with combat because that's what he's always said he wanted to do was lead men in battle. And and oh, yeah. was there anything about, you know, as the world events were unfolding that gave you pause or concern? Like, you know, hey, Doug, all these things are great that you're talking about, but like, 
reality sets in that, you know, uh, bad things can still happen to you. Yeah. Uh, I, you know what, I think that's why Doug and I connected on such a spiritual and, and soulmate level. We both were very optimistic and we were, we both were very positive about things and we were both very, we didn't think about, we thought about the higher purpose, the higher calling for his duty. And I, and I was there to stand with him. And although we were, although the thought of death of his friends that were leaving to go, especially his buddies in, in Virginia beach, cause they were all getting deployed. All the special forces, Navy SEALs were getting deployed and a couple of his roommates were being deployed and, and, and Doug was biting at the bits to go. And he was losing his mind, actually, not being able to go because he was on shore duty when 9-11 hit. Like he was he was this uh, the XO of the force recon uh, school at, at Fort Story. So he wasn't deployable for like another year or two. And he was losing his mind because he wanted to help. He wanted to help. He wanted to retaliate against terrorism. He wanted to help keep our country safe. He wanted to go over there. But I, I Mark, I just can't. There was never a, he would not allow a negative thought enter his mind about the cause like he he always turned things around in a positive way like yes my friends could die yes but my mission is to be a marine my mission is to serve the country my mission is to go over there and keep things there so my american citizens can sleep safely in their beds at night including you and one day our children honey so it wasn't he never like it was, there was never, a, Doug would never cast a negative doubt on anything. I think that's why he was so special as a leader because, and he made his men feel like they could conquer the world standing next to him. Like the safety factor, the purpose factor, um, the, the believe in something bigger than yourself factor, which most military men and women have. Like they believe in something bigger than themselves. They believe in the purpose. They believe in the calling. And they believe that, if it's my time to lay down my life for my brother, this yeah. is what I signed up for. That's all you can resign to. If it's my mm-hmm. not, it's my day, it's my day. You know, I mean, yeah. there's no other way to, because if you try to find some other way, you're, you're going to drive yourself insane. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the, your head will spin over and over again about trying to figure out uh, a way to avoid death when it's in it. Um, exactly. You know, beyond that, um, did you have in your own private moments thoughts of, you know, as much as he could make you believe whatever he wanted you to believe, it, it, were, were there private moments where you were like, you know, get that pit in your stomach where it's like, I, I just don't, you know, I don't know how this this goes or questioning the whole thing. Hmm. Um, questioning the the whole marriage thing. Questioning- oh, not the whole, just like, the, you know, the whole survivability of like the whole uh, like, the survivability. You know, um- like, you know, there's still a chance that things could end up very badly, you know, for all of us, um, you know, yeah. the, your personal level of concern, maybe you never voiced it, Doug, maybe you never said it, but you felt it. Was there any well, of that? Well, I will tell you, I did not feel it until he was in Fallujah in 2004. And I was in Virginia Beach and he was he had got deployed. He got stationed at Camp Pendleton. He was deployed to Fallujah. And I did not feel the fear of him, of losing him or the possibility of him of being killed in combat until I actually saw what was going on on TV, on the ABC, on, on, on the news channels. It was all over on the news. And that really 
made me a little fearful that, hey, I could lose him. And, but I don't know, there was just underlying thought in my mind where I'm like, I know that I know he's coming home. I know he's not going to get killed in combat. I know we're going to get married and we're going to have children. I just, I just never, you cannot live. And this is another thing I wanted to mention before I'll mention it now, as far as being a military spouse and, and, and being afraid of them dying. Like you cannot do that. You can't live your life with married to someone in the military or someone that's in combat and be afraid every day that they're going to die or have that pit in your stomach that they're going to die because that is not living. You would not be living your life. We're not here to live in fear. And that is part of like Doug's whole, like everything that he lived, like the the whole gates of fire, the whole um, warrior ethos that he believed in. And the part of fear like if you look at fear, if you look, read the warrior ethos, which is something you, it's a very small little, little booklet. And um, it talks about fear and it talks about fear of death. And Doug believed in that warrior ethos. And because he loved so much and he loved his Marines so much, he did not fear death because he knew that the opposite of fear was the love and having that love for his Marines made him more of a, made, gave gave him more courage in battle, I would say. So I would have to say I I was that way as well. I was his Spartan wife, and I tr- any moment that I felt fear, I would think about how trained he was, how confident he was, and I was like, I cannot be afraid that he's going to die because I have to live my life. So, in yeah. retrospect, when you look back on it, does any of those things? Or even in the moments after you found out he was killed, did any of those things feeling seem foolish? Like, how could I have deluded myself into thinking this wasn't a reality? Yes. Yes. And look, it's fair. Um, like, I don't ask you yeah. to, it's not a gotcha question. Yes. No, no, Mark, you are absolutely right. And and I will tell you that I that um, when he was killed, like when he was killed over in Iraq, I was so shocked like I was in a state of shock because I was like very complacent when he worked for the for Brown Branch very complacent I knew where I I didn't really know where he was I couldn't see it televised I couldn't see the battles I couldn't see I didn't know what was going on so you're very complacent and you get phone calls every day like he called me every day I was on the phone with him that morning and he talked to Fallon on the phone like he said I love you and I was like, oh, and Fallon said Dada for the first time. And I was like, you know, you think they're, oh, they're just kind of hanging out. They're not doing much over there. And you don't see them in battle. And so I felt, I was so shocked. Like, now, if he would have gotten killed in Fallujah, I probably would have been more mentally prepared than oh, how sure I was. Sense, right? It's, more, it's easier to process and the context is there. Yes, there was no context. There was nothing for me to be afraid. Like I, I was so complacent, so complacent. And I was like, Oh, wake up in the morning. He'll call me every day. Blah, blah. You know, it, it was just one of those. It was that type of job. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't now looking back on it. Yeah. That, that whole agency thing, like the whole ground branch, like how he was killed there. Like I, I was very angry about that for a long time because I was so foolish. I felt, I did feel kind of foolish at that point. Um, well, I, yeah. I, I want to get to, to ground branch because it, yeah. it, you know, obviously yeah. 
leads to the events. But yeah. you, you mentioned him going to Fallujah. Now he gets there. When does he first leave for Iraq the first time? So when he go when he he left for Fallujah in February of two thousand four, okay. and yeah. So uh, I mean, the first battle of Fallujah, you know, kicks off two months mm-hmm. later uh, in April. Yep. April of 04 lasts about, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, maybe some, no, about five, six weeks, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in some of the most intense ground fighting that we've ever seen uh, and urban fighting that we've seen since, since Vietnam and way yep. uh, back in 1968, you know, um, did Doug ever talk to you ahead of time of that battle when he first got on ground about um, just the level of danger that might be present for him. Did did you did you know anything about it other than what you had seen on the news? No, because he didn't he didn't know what he was getting. I mean, they didn't know what they were getting into until after. But he did write letters home to me, like letters, like pages and pages of letters. So I knew specific specific things that were occurring in battle to the point where I was like, uh, do I really want to read this? Yeah. And I had to stop a couple times, like the blood like he describes it like like a novelist like the blood with my my uniform was blood soaked with the, with the blood of the marines i mean he he was very 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 like detail oriented in all of his letters because he wanted to write a book about fallujah when when he retired from the marine corps that was one of his goals which didn't happen um but uh i lost my train of thought there what were, what were we like? I'm no, sorry. I was just asking about how much you knew about, you know, what, what, what was going on there. If you had any preconceived notion. Mm, I, I did not before he left. I didn't know any, he knew that he was going to Fallujah. He knew, but nothing, but if you remember, they were already there. Right. When the guys from Blackwater. Yes, they were. That happened at yeah. a couple of days before the battle kicked off. Yeah. Uh, and that's when it all, that's when it all ensued. Before he left, was there ever any, heartfelt conversation now I, I asked the question probably already knowing the answer given what you told me about doug was there yeah. any heartfelt conversation between you and him, like if i don't make it back kind of conversation or that just never even crept into anybody's mind he did not say that to me but i will tell you what he did say he did say that okay we did not officially get engaged until he came back from fallujah and so I was like, you were unofficial. How do you, un, how are you unofficially engaged? Just sort we of, were, he didn't specifically ask me to give marry him. Give you a cracker jack ring? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 nothing. He didn't officially ask me to marry him. He bought me these beautiful, like EW, like these Eagle Globe and Anchor Earrings with diamonds before he left, but he would not give me a ring because he was like, and I will give you a date at the Naval Academy Chapel because we are getting married when I get back. But he told me that he did not want to officially get engaged until he went over and he fought in battle with his Marines and he came home safely. Why? I don't know. He, he never, can never I, shared that with me. Can I play amateur psychologist? Sure, uh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and, and this thought has been kind of kicking around in my head. Um, and I, I asked you a question about it before, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I'll kind of phrase it this way. Sure. Ever feel like you were in competition with the Marines for Doug's attention, affection, love, admiration, or was he able to sort of split it both? Because, you know, well, answer that question first and I'll follow up. I did. Well, you know what? I 
the only time I felt in competition with the Marines was when he wasn't certain about us. And I felt like he, like the, our first year we dated Mark, we broke up three times. Don't get me wrong. It was a very tumultuous first year because he, I wasn't, he did not meet me on, I did not meet him on his timeline. Everything about Doug was goal oriented, goals of the day, goals of the week, goals of the month, goals of the year goals on my timeline for getting married someone who's five years younger than me i want to get i want to meet the person i'm going to marry after i get back from combat i want to um she's going to be um i don't know every but all the rest i fit the tea like the blonde hair whatever you know all the other stuff but it's like as far as the time (laughs) i don't need to mention as far as the timeline goes like, no, I was he wasn't supposed to meet me. So he kept breaking up with me because he's like, we're not on the same timeline. I mean, I'm three and a half years older than him. And he was like, I'm not marrying someone that's older than me. I just can't do it. And I'm like, okay, then we're breaking up. So we broke up. And then he broke up with me another time because I wasn't on his timeline. And then, and every time, because I, I felt like, okay, this is when I am in competition with the Marine Corps because everything is about what you need to do for the Marines before you find the perfect love. You cannot choose when you fall in love with someone, Doug. You cannot choose when you're going to meet the person you're going to marry. That is life. That is God. That is fate coming in. <laughs> but you can plan when you're going to battle or when you're, you're when the Marine Corps sends you. I was like, so you know, why are you keep breaking up with me when you know we're going to get married? And so that's the only time I felt in competition with the Marine Corps. And I do feel like the reason he did not give me a ring before he left is because he wanted to go there with freedom. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it and you are psychoanalyzing it a little bit, not really, but a little bit, maybe he just needed the freedom freedom to give the Marine Corps everything and not me, you know? Yeah. I, I think there's some, I also yeah. kind of think again, spitballing amateur psychologist here uh, and very bad at it. Maybe <laughs> there was some semblance of, um, you know, goals or steps like, Hey, you know, this is what I have to do to prove to myself that I am not a man per se, sure. but I need to cross this crucible before I can enter into this next crucible that they call marriage. Uh, And he had to make sure that he was able to clear that first before any, because I I mean, or maybe there was a sense of, you know, you get married, life takes a totally different turn and I might lose all the control that I had here. I better do this now because if I do that after, I might not ever get a chance at this again, kind of deal. I mean, you know, I'm just putting some very connecting some very faint dots that I'm not really sure of. I mean, I mean, we, we are, I mean, like, well, he did write a letter to me finally when he was over in Iraq, when he had time to actually sit, when they were like sitting in the houses in Fallujah, like they would take cover in some of the houses. And he wrote one letter one time and he was like, um, he's like, I've loved, he, he wrote the letter. I love you. I loved you from the moment that I met you. I was just too afraid to admit it. And that there tells me, hey, like he was fighting this battle because I wasn't on his timeline and he needed to prove to himself all these things. So, I mean, it was quite refreshing because I already knew that he loved me because the dude was so romantic. Like, that's why I never got jealous of the Marine Corps, Mark. I mean, no one will ask this guy. I mean, like one time I came home from a national sales meeting and he had every dozen of rows like in every color that you could imagine all over the place for me. <laughs> it was just like, I mean, there were probably, I don't know, probably like 25 dozens of roses in every shot. Yes. I mean, okay. So see that picture on the back yeah. of my wall. Okay. So that was one of my Christmas presents from him. It's the kiss. 
by Gustav Klimt. And on the back of it, it reads, <laughs> he, he signed everything. He goes, Pamela, kissing you is like kissing rose petals off of God's dinner table. Oh my Love. God. Doug. Yes. So. I mean, hey, listen, I give him points for, for breaking right? this <laughs> I mean, right? This is not the first romantic, like it, it, but it was, it never ended though. It never ended. He was so romantic. And the way he was an extreme Marine, he was an extreme husband and boyfriend and fiance. Like he loved as much in his personal life as he loved in his, in his military life, which is probably why I didn't feel so slighted maybe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? okay. and I mean, that, that is in line with what, the way at least the documents read about how he performed in battle. Um, yeah. You know, it was that same level of love and that same level of, of um, you know, uh, intensity and, and passion uh, yeah. that he fought with that, that, you know, is what made him unique and unmatched in many ways. Uh, so when he gets back, um, is there any part of you that feels like, okay, whew, we survived this. We don't have to do this again. Let's just start living our lives here. Um, no, I already knew, I already knew what was happening. I already know. I already knew that he had applied for this job. I had already knew that he was going. I had already, I, I knew all the plans. Like I had specifically, specifically took another job in, um, Northern Virginia moving towards, uh, that area. Cause I knew that he was going to be working for ground branch. So I knew that he would be home for a little bit and then he'd deploy again. He, he applied for the job within the CIA in a paramilitary mm -hmm. wing um, that's yeah. out there. And look, mm -hmm. you guys can do your research. We don't need to, to get yeah. it. Sure. Um, but uh, taking this job, you had to know when you put those three letters in there, all of a sudden brings a certain level of secrecy for a guy yeah. who's so open and so communicative with you on so many things, mm -hmm. was not going to put a wall between you and him of things that he could tell you. Did that bother you in any way? Um, I don't know. That's hard to say, Mark. Like now that I'm looking back on it, like I really, it didn't bother me at the time because he, what he told me as much as he possibly could. Sure. It wasn't like he was like, I can't tell you anything. Boom, 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 boom. Like there's a certain amount that they are allowed to tell the spouses, but not a lot enough. So we feel comfortable in our own skin and our homes when they're gone that we know where they, we know where they're going, but we don't know what they're doing, which, and, and they call every single day, like they call every day. So yeah, I mean, I kind of didn't, I mean, like in a way, like, do I, I respect, I respect the agency that he was working for. I respect the secrecy because guess what? I don't want anybody else's life to be in danger because of me knowing too much or, or maybe somebody heard, overheard him saying something. I'm glad he was very secretive and, and all that stuff. Like I, I just, I know what these guys do and I know how important it is to keep everyone else safe while they're trying to complete a mission. So, I mean, again, as I say this, like there are like having a support network of ladies and, and other, other uh, partners that are able to sit with you and speak with you and make you feel at ease while they're gone is detrimental to being a successful military spouse. Like that's why in the regular military, you have all these groups to keep everybody like connected. 
Connection right. is key, is key. So, so no, I, I can honestly say no. Like I, I was, I did blame them for his death though. I will tell you, like I did, like uh, I was angry. I got to, I, I, I have to back up. I apologize. Cause sure. I want to ask <laughs> a couple other things here as I'm going through my notes. Um, for his actions in Fallujah, he was awarded the Bronze Star. Um, yes. How did he take to that? Hmm. He was fine with the Bronze Star. <laughs> but uh, he, he actually was the Bronze Star with Valor, with V. Yes. And, I mean, if you ask me, I think he could have got the silver or the Navy Cross or what he did. Yeah. But, um, um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, again, so you're there for the ceremony yeah. and, and, you yeah. know, it reads how he basically during the engagement, he ran out from cover despite mm-hmm. heavy machine gun and RPG fire, jumped mm-hmm. on top of a tank, redirected his fire and then returned to, 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 to cover without a single scratch on him. Uh, and, you know, the response from this on the Marines was, did, did he, did that just happen? Did he actually just yeah. do that? Um, kind of deal. So he, he got a bronze star with combat distinguishing service and a purple heart for all the whole thing. Um, and so, you know, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who takes well to lavish, uh, promotions of his efforts. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, he was, he didn't, I mean, even though, even though like, I mean, what, what we shared as a couple in private, like I'll keep to ourselves, but what I can say as his spouse and knowing what I read about what he did and what his Marines have said, like he was fine with the award. He didn't care what it was. Like he was, he was most, he was most concerned with making sure his Marines that were injured in combat got their purple hearts, that they got their, they, that he wrote his Marines up for their awards and the bronze stars and the silver star. And Aaron Austin, one of the Marines that passed away on that day on April 26th, that he was written, that he made sure he got his silver star. Like he always put himself last when it came to the awards. And when he did get the award, I did fly out to San Diego and I was there for the ceremony and I was very, you know, humbled and proud to be his fiance and, um, all that great stuff. But, um, I know, like, I really feel like, and I'll say this because this is how I feel. And it's been 16 over how many years now is that 2004. It's been 19 years since that, but as far as that award goes, I, I believe that it was, he was misrepresented in that award and should have been at least a silver star. And I do think the politics of Fallujah played a lot into that and we can just keep it there. No, well, uh, but he didn't care. He didn't care, Mark. He didn't give. He didn't give. He could care less about that award. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I was just talking about this. One of his Marines was here visiting with me last week, and we were talking about that and how. And he even said, "We're sitting on the beach." And it's interesting that you bring it up because he was like, "He's like, I'm sure got the Silver Star that day, or the Navy Cross." Like he was like adamant, like what he did in battle that day. So. Yeah, it's uh, the politics behind all that stuff are, um, let's just say we, we, we've tried too hard to uh, give out medals of honor and haven't focused on a lot on the other stuff. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the photo op is more important than the actual event itself. But, but yep. that's a different conversation. That said, yeah. I want to ask you, you mentioned Corporal Lance Corporal Aaron Austin was killed. Yes. In uh, two, his company suffered two killed in action. And, and yeah. 50 wounded. Uh, and I know that he wrote a letter to the family of Aaron Austin. Um, how did he deal with loss of his Marines? Did he speak to you about it? Was, was he, did he shut down about it? Was he open about it with you? Oh, he was, he was very open about it. And I, and I do feel that is why he, 
was able to, I didn't see a lot of, um, so my master's I got uh, last year is in thanatology, which is death and dying. So I did a lot of research on grief and loss and, and uh, traumatic loss, especially because of what I've been through. And I believe, I feel that a lot of our veterans, our retired veterans and our veterans are, are, they do, they deal with a lot of grief and loss with their loss, um, with their loss um, service members and people that they served in combat with. And they kind of put it aside because the family members and the cl- and the close relatives, like those, of course, they need to be like taken care of. Of course they do. Um, but I feel like their grief is kind of disenfranchised in, in several ways and they push a lot of it inside. And that can cause a lot of, of issues later on. And I do feel like Doug, because he was able to come home and sit with me and actually vent and cry and talk about how his, about his feelings and how sad he is and, and what he wants to make sure happens and, and everything like the night that he came back from Fallujah and I'll never forget it. Like it was something out of like, out of a movie. Like we, they were supposed to be in at 11, 11 PM uh, Pacific time. And I sat up in my hotel. No, we're not coming out there. We're late. We're late. So then finally it was like, one o'clock I started heading over to Camp Pendleton and um, I go through the gate and it's like the, this misty air coming out of the sky and for California, it never rains, but it was raining and misty. And, and finally the guys walk out at like two forty-five AM. They walk out because they had turned in all their weapons and everything. And Doug like comes marching out with his guys. And I just remember they all look so haggard and they were all so thin. Like Doug was so thin. Like I could see like the outline of his skull, like on the back of his neck, like that's how thin he was. And he just looked so haggard and, and just pop, but he still had a smile on his face. Like w- when he saw me and jumped up, we left, we go back. I rented a beautiful hotel room overlooking Dana point. And literally we sat up the entire night, just talking, talking about what happened in Iraq, talking about what happened to his men um, he expressed all of his sorrow, all of his anger, all of his pain to me. Like, and we cried together, like for hours. So we we stayed till the sun. We were up until the sun. I mean, probably until ten o'clock the next morning, and then finally we went to sleep. But that he let like, and this is every time like he would let those things go to me. I felt honored. I felt privileged. I mean, that's what a spouse is supposed to be doing for their for their hus- for their husband. And I felt like. I was very fortunate that he was able to share those things with me, but he did it every time though. Like he couldn't tell me details and for, for the other group, but um, I don't think actually when he was working with the other group, I don't think he suffered any, um, any of his guys. Um, I'm thinking of the guys passed away. You know, um, in one hand, it feels counterculture to what Doug is. Yeah. Able to express that level of emotion. Yeah. Uh, for lack of a better term, we use the term hardened Marine all the time, but, you know, for, sure. for such a true Marine. Um, on the other hand, you know, I, I've spoken to hundreds of people on this show, uh, mm-hmm. and that may be one of the most underrated qualities I've heard about anybody, uh, especially Doug, in mm-hmm. a sense that he was able to communicate those things because I mm-hmm. – uh, Pam, I, I sit here on the show with several veterans and we just uncover things that they have, haven't even talked about. We we just mm-hmm. get to a spot of emotion where sometimes, you know, they 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 end up revealing sure. what they thought. Um, and as somebody who, who has lived and survived through combat, I've never told a single family member about anything. I, yeah. I, you know, I just, yeah, you know, yeah. when I was married, it never came up in conversation. I was never asked and never brought it up. 
my kids ask me every now and then, and and yeah, they're, yeah. they're not old enough to understand. So I, uh, sure. you know, but um, the ability to communicate those things and the emotions mm-hmm. that come with it um, mm-hmm. probably made Doug one of the more well-adjusted people in uniform that we would have ever met. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, the smarts and the wherewithal to download it, and most of us never did. Well, I think that's one thing we need to focus more on is being able, and I know there's a, there is a fine line between it, Mark. That's the problem. There's a fine line between being this rough, tough, pain is weakness, the body uh, veteran, service member, combat veteran, whatever, everything. I mean, being this, hey, you know, I'm going to go into combat. I'm going to serve my country. I'm tough. Um, I can handle everything. And then all that stuff stays bottled up inside and you don't talk to anybody about it. And you, I mean, it's not, it's, it's very well known. We have a lot of problems with mental health issues in our military veterans. And, um, and it's about time that there, we kind of like decipher that fine line. Like, Hey, what's too much to say? What's not? I mean, like Doug had a way about him that he just, he knew how to balance it. I mean, does that make sense? He knew how to balance the warrior, the, the, the pain, the pain is weakness, the body warrior to the emotional leader, because he cried in front of his Marines. Oh, he did. He cried when they when the national anthem was sang. Yeah, that's is a simple <laughs> word to describe that, and it's absent. Yeah. It's absent in government. It's absent in society. Yeah. It's been absent in the military for far too long. But it's empathy. Mm-hmm. That's all it's it is. Empathy. Plain and simple empathy at, at its yeah. purest level. I can mm-hmm. relate to you. You can relate yeah. to me. I have emotions. You have emotions. These are mine. Show me yours. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. all it is. I mean, and, and yeah. it's it's a, a, a human level contact. Mm-hmm. And it gets lost in leadership. And you talked oh. earlier about how Doug makes you mm-hmm. do things that you didn't think you could do or, or, or weren't, you know, really real. But yeah. that's because he's empathetic and he can relate to you on an emotional level. And that oh, yeah. makes you feel safe. That makes you feel comforted. It makes you feel yeah. like a partner. I have yeah. a friend. I have an equal. I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking next to you. I'm talking with you. And yeah. that's the scope of the conversation. Uh, yeah. And yeah. If Doug's legacy is anything, that level of empathy is required to lead in combat, both in combat and post-combat. But to be a leader in general, that level of empathy is what separates great leaders from just very good ones. I agree 100%. He, and I will tell you, he was, I, I was the ice princess when he married me. I mean, like I, I, I'm very German Catholic, very authoritarian parents. And <laughs> he brought the emotion out in me. Like he brought it out in me. And I like, and when he, and this has been the hardest thing for me to work on. And I have worked very hard and I've gotten it back. It's taken several years, but he brought the emotion out of me. And when he died and my world was shattered, I closed up again. Boom. So that's been the hardest thing for me, developing a safety net. And, you know, I just had a conversation with another widow a couple of days ago, and that is her biggest thing. It's the safety factor. Like, you feel so safe and, com- and comfortable with these men and these leaders and these women. And then you get in a situation where you're just relaxed and you let yourself open up and then boom, they die tragically. They die suddenly. And you're like, oh. Let me close back up again. I'm a, it's the safety is not there any longer. And it makes sense if you're in combat and you have this leader that's next to you, that's next to you, that's walking in your shoes, that has this ability to make you feel safe and secure. And you know, he's got you, he's got your back. Yeah. And that was Doug. 
that was definitely my husband. It's beautiful. Um, so back to Ground Branch, he applies for sure. the CA job. You know, I, I had yep. read that, that you had said that that was the only time you'd ever seen him sweat. <laughs> that job, like, you yeah. know, when, oh, yeah. when I say cal- calm is a, what is it? Calm yeah. is a leadership trait or calm is a attitude, whatever, something like that. If I get it out, it's phrased. <laughs> uh, you know, he exuded that all the time, except during this process. Oh my he was freaking out like the the slide detector tests and the background checks and the and like I've never seen him like he wouldn't he didn't tell me exactly everything that they were you know asking of him but I have never seen him stress like that before like he he's not he never let stress get to him he had a way to like calm his stress his stress and I'm laughing because one of his buddies like how to deal with stress and i'm like oh he went and got massages sometimes and he used lavender he used uh, peppermint oil and lavender and they're like he didn't and i'm like yes he did i have and i haven't saved i have a little bottle of peppermint oil that he used to use here babe you need some peppermint oil here here take it (laughs) like okay so now like i have all these oils because they do work for calming but back to that question i don't know where i lost my train of thought because that is just hysterical with him because he just I don't know. He had this calming effect, but he was so like, he, he wasn't cool. Like he would come back and he would call me on the phone, like freaking out about something. And I was like, are you okay? And he's, you don't understand what I'm going through. I- I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And then like, we would get home and, and we would chill and he would be okay. But it was just, it's okay not to be okay, Doug. This is a stressful environment. They are making sure that you are the right candidate for this position. You know, you are, I know you are. They need to know that you are. This is why they're doing this. And then, of course, everything turned out and he got the position that he wanted. But I mean, and at that time, at that time, they only chose one, I believe, one force recon marine major for that billet every three years. So it was very selective, like one person got chosen. And he really wanted it because he felt like that was the next step in his career because he wanted to go back. He he went he went um he got out of he went into um got out of Fort Recon and went um to the ground um went to uh, am, am I saying this correctly, Mark? He yes. got out, okay went back to ground so he could be a rifle company commander for his career and then he this was the next step for him. So he was very adamant on his of course on his yellow like sticky note that said goal be uh work for GB as this, you know, and all of his goals. So that's why he was so stressed because he was worried that this is the first time in his life he was just a little concerned that he wasn't going to get it, but he got it, and I know he would. Yeah. Uh, so when he deploys the second time, and this is technically this is officially his second deployment, right? I mean, he had he had only gone on on the two, right? Like there was no other time other than schooling he was away from you. According to the media, but no. <laughs> okay, well, again, you know, <laughs> you know. I don't have access to, to, you know, to, to classified reports on my home computer. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so, yeah, yeah, Doug was, did a lot of different stuff. They just, no, it's not really anything that we need to talk about. You know, his cover got rolled back at the agency, so I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be talking as openly about it if, if I couldn't. Um, he his his star on the wall at the CIA is now written in the book under the empty name of 2007. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, th- there's there's a lot there that uh, we'll get to uh, in a moment. So he, he goes on this second deployment, um, and you mentioned you know uh, you had a lot of things you know going on in the spring. Uh, you know he has his birthday and everything in April, and uh, mm-hmm. 
the morning of May 11th of 2007, you said you talked to him, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, every... actually, it was May 10th. It was May 10th I talked yeah. to him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, everything seemed normal. It seemed like it was a, an average day and you fully expected to hear from him. Yeah, everything was, I woke up, I woke up, he called me at 7am that morning and I was getting ready. I just woken up, was getting the baby ready. And, and I found was just one when that happened, when he was, when he passed away, when he was killed. And, um, and yeah, so I got up like a normal day and went to work and um, it's just crazy how things happen because you feel like that day, like it was interesting because we were, he was planning another, a second honeymoon for us because the first honeymoon wasn't a very, like, wasn't as fun as it could have been because he didn't do his job. He was supposed to plan it and he didn't do it. Right? So our honeymoon was, was it, like, there wasn't a sticky note that said goal plan honeymoon. Uh, that, that he one. didn't do his job. I planned our wedding from to a T like, everything and he was supposed to come back and plan the honeymoon to a t just like i planned our wedding to a t he came back he didn't do anything his mother did it and he didn't know where we were going what we were doing we were lost in italy like five thousand times and i was like so angry and we fought and so he was like okay babe we're gonna plan a second honeymoon and i'm gonna make sure it's done right so we had actually planning our second honeymoon and um and i lost all my baby weight i was getting ready we're gonna have we're gonna go on our second honeymoon and we were gonna um try for our second baby and, um, and like, I was like, yeah, I'm so happy. And I just, tra- I just uh, changed jobs. So my like dream job, I was working as a diabetes specialist because I love nutrition and fitness and stuff. And so I was working with endocrinologists and it was awesome. And, um, so I'm like, I'm going to my favorite job. My house is awesome. My baby's sleeping through the night. I lost all my baby weight. My husband's awesome. We're going on a honeymoon when he gets back. And I was like living the dream. I was so happy. And I remember I backed into my driveway and I saw those beautiful peonies and bush. I'm like, you know what? This house isn't so bad. I'd never wanted the house that we bought. He wanted it. And, um, and I was truly, truly, truly elated. And it's interesting. Cause I went to bed. I like Fallon was, was sleeping through the night and I would put her the way our house is in Annapolis. It's like a raised rancher type of house. And, um, and so our master bedroom is on the first floor and then her bedroom was on the lower level. So we had one of those baby cams that everybody has. And so I put her in her crib that night and, um, and she didn't fall asleep right away. It was the weirdest thing. Cause she would like, I would put her down and she would be out like within five minutes. She's great sleeper. And I look over like 45 minutes later and she's sitting up in her crib and she's like playing peekaboo with her blanket and just like goofing off. And I'm like, what is she doing? And I, I let her, I kept her alone and I walked away. Um, little did I know that her father had already passed away at that time. So I, I truly believe that he was visiting her from heaven. Like that's, that's my belief that, you know, I will take that. And then I went to bed that night and I was woken up by my dog barking in the room and I walked up the steps and there was Colonel Ripley standing there. And I was like, what the heck is Colonel Ripley doing at my front door? And I had one of those doors that you could see. It had a little like window on the side. So I could see him. And then there were four other guys or four other guys standing with or three guys standing with him. I didn't know who they were. And I'm like, who are these people? But I, I was like, all right, I'll let him in because Colonel Ripley's there. And Doug had told, had called Colonel Ripley like previous, like a long time ago and said, hey, listen, if anything ever happens to me, you're the person that I want them to contact to go with to tell Pam. And so that's where they were. They were there to tell me that he had died. And I just, and then boom. Did it not connect immediately when you saw Colonel Ripley that it was bad news? 
Nope. Because I just talked to him and I was like, oh my gosh, the first thing that came to my head was like, one of Doug's, oh my God, one of Doug's friends is in trouble. That's what came to my head. Not that Doug is dead. Like I, I would never, to me at this job, I was, like I said before, I was very complacent. I felt like he was invincible. I felt like, you know, he's not, nothing's going to happen to him here. And he was working one of the most dangerous positions in the military. And because I was so complacent, I was completely, utterly shocked. And um, it's a night I, I, I can actually, I could like, I remember it like it was yesterday. That's, that's something that you do not forget. And um, yeah. So what uh, do you remember exactly what you were told about the incident surrounding his death at the time? Well, Colonel Ripley just basically said that he was killed in combat tonight, Pam, in Iraq. And I was like, what? And I was like, no. And I just, and then, um, and then that was pretty much all that was said. And all I said was, <laughs> well, I won't say the word that I said. <laughs> I was like, did they, and I laugh about it now because I was just, I just, all this, I was, it's like your emotions are like a roller coaster. Like one minute you're like crying and like your, 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 like your body just recoils in pain and agony. And cause you, it's like someone like punches you in the gut almost. And, and then you go from like that to like standing up straight and wanting to punch somebody in the face. So what I said to the guys that were there when they were Doug's bosses from GB, I was like, um, did they get the effers that killed my husband? And one of the guys said, yes, all of them are gone. And that's our, that's pretty much all that was said about the incident um, that night. Uh, by the way, that's also in Doug's list. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where it says, you know, uh, never forget those who died in battle and uh, always go after the ones who, who took them from you. Um, yeah. Or something, I'm paraphrasing it, obviously. But, yeah, yep, yep. I know exactly what you're saying. Yep. Uh, Okay, so you had mentioned how angry you were. Um, were you angry? I mean, I'm sure it's a variety of different things. Obviously, one that your your soulmate and best friend and partner and husband and father of your daughter is, is gone. That all that's there. But um, was it angry over the unit that he was with, the assignment that he had, the amount of lack of details you got about what had gone on? Because inevitably, everybody just want, I just want to know what happened. I, I want to be able to understand everything yeah. and not having yeah. the understanding creates more doubt and questions that are hard to deal with. So yeah. have you been able to figure out where that anger all came from? Yeah, I, I, I was angry because I felt like if, and I, I was angry because I was so complacent and I was like, and the first thing that came to my mind was if he would have been, why didn't he die in Fallujah? Because he was with his Marines his Marines had his back. And I was like, why didn't these guys have his back? It's because of who he was with is why he is gone. Because if he was with his Marines, he wouldn't be dead right now. And that's where the anger came from. And for years, I kept that anger. For years, I stayed away from, I went to the first ceremony and I never went back. And I did not, like we we were told the, the truth, like someone came and told us the story, like their version of the story. I mean, and basically it's all out in the open now, but, um, at the time, like I didn't give, I didn't care. I didn't care what they said because it was their fault and I was blaming someone. So I blamed them and I blamed poor Intel and I blamed, 
I blamed everybody for why he was gone because there's no way Doug would have been gone if he would have been with Echo to one. And that's wrong because, you know, he was with a group of guys that were just as capable. But I, I mean, I was trying I had to blame someone. I mean, I had to blame somebody. So I blamed them for the longest time. And the fact that I had to lie and I couldn't tell the truth. And well, that's and what I, I was going to ask you next was, was, you know, um, how much uh, of, you know, the nature of his job and you not being allowed to say anything or, or whatever, um, yeah. you know, why, did, why was that so bothersome to you? It wasn't that it was bothersome. Um, I, I, because I, I mean, if someone, if, if someone, if our country requires of me and my family to keep a story secret because of national security and making sure that other men and women overseas are safe, I will lie until I die about it. Like, no doubt. It wasn't the secret that, Although, if you want to get into the whole grief journey and the grief story, ha- being secret and not being able to tell your story does cause complications with grief. I will not deny that because it did with me. However, I was angry because I felt like he was, that he wasn't protected. Like they were given poor intel, like they, like that he wasn't with the right people and his, his Marines were there. Why did he take this job? He should just stay in the Marine Corps. Like, why did he have to do this special forces thing? And I mean, that's why I was angry. I felt like if I felt I was angry because I felt like it was their fault. I felt like it was the ground branch's fault, but it's never anybody's. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I'll never know the true story. Doug's the only person that knows a true story. And, you know, Keith, uh, another guy that was with him that night, Keith, he, he told us the story, which is pretty much what, the other guy told us as well. So, I mean, they try to tell the widows the truth because it does give us some closure, but there are times when they cannot, which is what is the problem many times. So, but yeah, the, the anger isn't about blame. The anger isn't about like, you know, it's just about like just blaming someone for his death. And you can't blame now that I have had years to process and work through it. I mean, and I'm a very spiritual person. So, I mean, we all have a timeline and that was his timeline. And look at the legacy that he's left behind. Look at the people that he's helped. Look at the, look at the quotes that are all over, all over the internet. They're all in school. I mean, like he's a, he's a modern day war her- hero at the Naval Academy with his leadership abilities and, yeah. and the leadership skills that he has instilled in so many of our, of our, of our young leaders moving forward in this country. Like that was Doug's plan and his purpose I mean, am I to be so selfish now to still be angry? No, I'm not. I'm not selfish. I knew, but at the time I was, I I don't mourn the loss of Doug now. I mourn the life I could have had with him. But then I look at everything that his legacy of his death has created. And I'm grateful but I still mourn the life that I could have had with him. <laughs> so oh, it's kind of like, okay. You know, uh, uh, you know, I, I, it's always tough when I do this when I'm actually talking to a licensed therapist. Um, <laughs> I'm not a licensed therapist yet. Well, you, 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 you're working to be one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's whatever. The, I've said this a, a dozens of gold star spouses and, and family. Yeah. Whatever the emotion is, you're allowed to feel it. Right, wrong, yeah. or different. Yeah. You know, it, it, you can look back on it and say, I was being selfish. But 
in the moment, that selfishness mm-hmm. sort of assuaged the grief, right? Uh, and anything that could take the place of overwhelming grief, I think, to a certain extent, you know, as long as it's not harming other people or, or you know, causing greater harm in, in general, those emotions are valid. I don't, I don't think you should ever feel um, like because there's a negativity that comes with I was being selfish, right? Like we, well, oh, you're an awful person. No, you're just grieving. Oh yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. For sure. I tell, I tell my ladies now, I'm like, listen, um, you use the widow card as long as you want. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, my daughter will never know her father. I am a mother and a father. I mean, like this is the life that I have been given and I, and I live it and I live it to the best of my ability. But I, I, I mean, yes, you are absolutely correct, Mark. We are supposed to be able to feel those feelings. But the problem that I had was that I didn't allow myself to have those feelings. Like I stuffed them all inside. Like I was like, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the Spartan wife that I'm supposed to be. I'm going to be the pain is weakness, leaving the body part of Doug and not the emotional side, which if I would have been more, I probably wouldn't have had the complications with grief that I had. Cause I did. I did. I had a lot of complications with grief. So, yeah. um, it's interesting you, you talk about Fallon, your daughter, who was one years old. I, the, the gold star spouse I referenced earlier that I interviewed, one of her children at the time was only 14 months old. And, and yeah. you know, there, there are limited pick, you know, again, this is not the age of where cell phone cameras were everything um, when this happened, but uh, they were still available. But nonetheless, there just are, there's a finite number of pictures, there's a finite number of memories yeah. that, that you have and Fallon have, if any at all, of, of her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is like devastating. And, and on one hand, I, I, you know, thank God, I, I, you know, my kids don't have to deal with this, but you know, it's mm-hmm. one of those things where it's like, is it better or worse? I mean, what is the grief of never knowing your father versus yeah. having 12, 15, 18 years with your father and then having him taken away? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't ever want to compare grief, right? Like that's a, a fruitless exercise, Exactly. Just, you know, um, I'm sure I found lusts after the idea. I, if I could have had some, lunch with my dad. If I could have had anything with my dad, I, I would take it now over anything in the world. I'm sure she would. But in the same respect, how much sort of grief was she saved, so to speak, by never having that yeah. connection? I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know, yeah. I don't know yeah. how to settle that. Well, there's really no settling it. It's all about, you know, what you know. And for her, like she is just, be, I see what I did for her as what I did was I got myself together so I could be a better parent for her. I worked through my loss. I started going, I started going to therapy and, um, and I realized that if I am there for her, then she's going to be okay. And so that's what I did. Like I dedicated my life to her. Like I stopped trying to fill a void that couldn't be filled because my world was shattered. And I started just focusing, making purpose through pain, raising my daughter to be a good American citizen, raising her the way her father and I would raise her together And I kept her from a lot of the ceremonies. Like I took her to a couple at the beginning. I was like, no. And one of Doug's best friends said said to me, Pam, you do not have to take Fallon to these ceremonies. She needs to be turned. She needs to become Fallon and not live, not have to live inside of a legacy. So I took that advice to heart and I just started exposing her to some of the ceremonies. And she has gone to a couple. She went to the Naval Academy one this year. And she's, she is wonderful talking to the generals and talking to the commandant of the Naval Academy and talking to all of Doug's friends and, 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 and having great conversations. She's a, she's a wonderful young lady. I'm very, very lucky and fortunate. And 
Um, but she came back because we split we split the role this year. Like I went to the agency one and she went to the Naval Academy one. And I came back and she was completely emotionally drained. And she said, mom, she was crying. She's like, mom, she's like, I, she goes, I enjoy talking to my daddy's friends and I enjoy learning about my father. She goes, and I, I like the ceremonies. She's like, but it's hard for me. And I was like, is it hard because you miss you you never knew him and she goes she goes it's hard because I I I will never know what it's like to know him and that's and it makes me miss him more that way when I'm around all of his friends so I mean even her the ceremonies I have to be careful with her we I mean I have to I have to give her grace when it comes to that as well so sure uh you mentioned ceremonies I know after um Doug was buried you know every high level Government executive, um, CIA director Michael Hayden, uh, you know, Leon Panetta, like you had met with all these people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I don't I don't know how I would I'm trying to empathize and feel like how I would feel in those moments, whether I would feel anger, bitter, is my gracious that they're taking time out kind of deal. Where were you emotionally with some of those meetings with people that, you know, most Americans would never get a chance to meet? I was numb at the beginning, like when um, Secretary of Defense Gates, I met him at the Silver Star Ceremony, and he was so gracious to come to that. But I, I mean, I was polite and nice, but I, I honestly, like, I, I was numb, like I was oblivious. And, and every time that I meet a new general or I meet like uh, someone else of that stature, I feel like they are so wonderful to me because they are appreciative of our sacrifice. But I look at them as just being another human being and they have a big job to do. And I don't like, I'm not, I wasn't angry at them. I was, I was, you know, Mark, I was so numb back then. Like I was just taking it in, pretending like it didn't happen. I mean, that. It's it, that's that's all I can remember, like just sitting there and just being respectful and being yeah. polite and being a very a Marine Corps wife and not showing emotion. I didn't cry at any of the ceremonies. None of them. I tried my best <laughs> not to. Um, you mentioned the star that was on the wall in the CIA. For those who aren't familiar, whenever somebody in this, the folks who work in the CIA that we aren't supposed to know who work in the CIA, when they are killed in the line of duty, they etch a star into the wall in the building. It doesn't have a name next to it, or there is a book, corresponding book with the star, but sure. yeah. it's just the stars on the wall. Uh, yeah. For a long time, Doug's star was left anonymous, uh, and the details of his accounts with Ground Branch and the CIA were kept uh, secret for obvious reasons. Did any of that bother you that it was kept anonymous or you were somebody who felt like, you know, Doug's gone. We should mm-hmm. at least be able to see his name now kind of deal. Um, <laughs> so the first ceremony, I was completely numb. Don't really remember it. I remember sitting next to the commandant of the Marine Corps and I don't even remember who it was. I mean, that's, I mean, it was, it was so soon. And because of my anger and my blame of the agency, I never went back to that ceremony until 2000, um, was it 2015? 
So I stayed away for how many years was that? Eight years. Yes. I, I stayed away. I didn't care. I didn't give because I was like, you know, Doug was a Marine. Doug was a Marine. He didn't care about it. Like he was a Marine. So I never, I blamed them so much that I wanted nothing to do with any of them. And now that I look back on it, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's how third option gets it. Gets involved. Right, right. Well, it's, it's kind of going yeah. there, but you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. um, you know, there are over a hundred stars, you know, on, on this wall for those who yeah. have you, um, when, when they were able to sort of, for lack of a better term, declassify it, uh, and put his name there, did you get any sort any comfort at all? Like what's the feeling then? Um, well, okay. So it was not officially declassified in 2014. So remember there was an article, the Washington post article. Yep. And so the, the, the guy who wrote um, Thomas Neff, Gibbons Neff, who wrote the a previous guest on the show. <laughs> yeah, 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 TM. And mm-hmm. so he like called me. He's like, "Hey, they, we all know that Doug was working for Ground Branch when he died. We're gonna write a story about it. And do you want to be involved?" I'm like, um, no. He's like, "Well, we're gonna write about it, and you know, you, you, if you have some type of input, it'd be better." And so I talked to him with Doug's parents, and I was like, "All right, I will talk to you." He's a former Marine, so I gave him that respect. And so we sat and we talked and he let me preview the article and he was, he was, and the article was really, really, it was really a great article actually. So I'm like, okay, so someone from the agency leaked it. So obviously there's a reason no one's, no one is working that detail any longer. No one is going to be unsafe over there. Everything is done over there. So that's why I believe the the information was leaked because they knew that the operations were done. Um, But after that, that's when I got the letter from Third Option Foundation about a foundation that they were starting for all of the surviving family members of, of Ground Branch and all of their family members, because that that's what they like. This is what happens. Like you have you get told you have a, your husband's passed away with this group and then um and then you're left alone in your grief. And for me, it was different because I was active duty Marine Corps. So I had the Marine Corps by my side, but a lot of these ladies, they don't, they just have the group. And so they're by themselves, isolated alone. And it really does, does inhibit the grieving process, causes a lot of complications. And so when that article was released, I was approached by the founders of Third Option Foundation, and I actually got involved with them then. And I started getting some survivorship programming put together for the family members and started to get a community started with this group. And, um, and yeah, and so now we have, now it's, it's progressive. It was, gra- it was grassroots back then, and now it's totally taken over another another element. It's like, a, it's an amazing organization now. And I've stepped back from that a little bit. I just support our, our like I have phone calls with people and support the newly bereaved and stuff like that. But I've really kind of stepped back from the programming and stuff like that because I'm back in school. One more related to the article that Thomas sure. Gibbons wrote. Um, yeah. Five wounded, one martyred was uh, the yeah. alleged radio call uh, by the Iraqis serving beside Doug yeah. when he was killed. Uh, has there been any level of confirmation to that for you oh yeah yeah um he his so yeah so all of the so when doug was over there he was actually training iraqi forces to Mm -hmm. be able to protect their own country and he um when he was killed they all of the guys that he served with in that group that he trained 
ripped their badges off and sent them home for me and wrote in a book uh, everything that they felt about their leader. And I, they sent all that with me. And it's so this is what grief does. Like you, you don't really care about anything. Like you don't look at stuff like that. I mean, there was some stuff that people gave me that I'm just looking at now, 16 years later, like I have so much stuff. So I finally went through all of his boxes, 12 years post loss. And I found that box with all the badges in it and the book. And I just thought it was in um, Arabic. Like I didn't know that it had been translated in English. So 12 years later, I'm going through and I'm reading these things that these guys are like saying about my husband and like they loved him like as their leader and they're like you know we are mourning the great lion we're mourning like a leader our fearless our fearless leader like all these wonderful sayings and and yeah so five of the guys were wounded and one martyred like that's the way they felt they felt that he so basically Doug saw the ambush coming and made everyone he he made sure everyone was safe and then it was too late for him. So that's pretty much what happened over there. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, uh, of notes and books, yours, Selfless Beyond Service, that you wrote, it was that <laughs> just, I know you say you don't talk about it and you don't really promote it, but uh, what was that as far as part of your grieving process? Oh, it was so amazing. Like, I, it, that was the beginning. Like, I, I, so I started grief work, probably, like, I went to a grief therapist initially. And she's like, oh, you're doing everything right. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and so I stopped going. And that's that's why I'm so passionate about this therapy thing. This therapy yes, I'm good now. <laughs> because you're not, you might be okay, but you might not. You need to question more. You need to like do different things. But not not really question. Let someone feel through it. Like questioning is kind of a no-no until like way later on in the therapeutic process is what I'm learning. But, uh, but anyway, so I started writing. So we had in this group, I went to a group. And then I went to like individual therapy. So in the women's group, we had to write our story. So I wrote like a three page paper about my story and about Doug and the ladies in the group were like, this is so awesome. You need to write your story like in a book. So I started writing and I couldn't stop. Like I literally like wrote 300 paper pages in literally seven months. And I wrote about my love story. I wrote about our, I wrote about his Marines. I, I put all the letters that he wrote me from Iraq inside the book in like a, uh, like a forward, like uh, it's like, it starts off like the night of his death. And then it goes back into Virginia beach where we meet. And, um, and it was also a way for me to house my memories of our relationship for our daughter Fallon. So one day she can read it and be like, Oh, my dad did that for me. So maybe somebody I'm dating needs to give me 25 dozens of roses, you know? <laughs> uh, that was the smartest thing Doug did was set the bar high for his daughter. Right. I mean, you know, listen, he didn't even know what he was yeah. doing. He did it, but he did it. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it was, it's a tremendous it's called meaning making actually of a loss. Like, and then journaling is one of the most fantastic tools you can, you can use for like helping through grief and pain, anything. I mean, even if, whatever you're working through in life, writing is awesome. It's an awesome tool for therapeutic process. Yeah. Um, and again, you can get anywhere, uh, but again, selfless beyond service is the name of the book. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder for you, um, as Doug's sort of legacy continues to grow, uh, is there any sense that, um, you know, 
that it could get too big. Like, I, you know, you knew Doug on a very personal level. Uh, mm-hmm. And while stories are great and, you know, continuing to have things named after him and everything else. And, you know, um, do, do you ever get a sense that some of this stuff gets away from the core of who Doug was um, as you get further away from his actual death? Like, does that question make sense? Do you follow my, my line it of thinking? Does. It does make sense. And I, it could, it could already be there, Mark, and I just don't know. There, like, sometimes I'll do a Google search and I'll find things with, I'll find like items with principles my father taught me on t-shirts and on like mugs. And I didn't give my approval for that. Like, I didn't say, okay. I mean, so I'm like, so I make sure, okay, where's the money going to? Is it going to a nonprofit? If it's, if, if it's, if the services are being for a nonprofit, then I'm like, okay, that's, that's totally awesome. Like, I, 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 that's okay. I don't care. But it's like, I, I don't. I just don't want that to happen. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want it to be his, his legacy become commercialized. And then, um, and then it takes the biggest meaning. It takes the most of the meaning out of it. Right. (laughs) Um, So it could already be happening. Well, you're the answer to your question. And I don't even know. And because it is very large and it keeps getting bigger. And I put a lot of boundaries on it for my own personal well-being and my daughter's. And we have to learn to live our lives without him in it. Right. But finding it's a, it's a very difficult process. Like that is the biggest uh, issue. I, I mean, my, listen, there's been so much co-opting of the military over the last 20 years, right. By people, mm-hmm. by government, by businesses, by everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I take a personal vested interest in people doing that sort of stuff that bothers the hell out of me. Yeah. Yeah. So I work in sports media uh, full time and I, okay. I got I got a press release um, that said, oh, well, this this football team uh, and their coach went on a USO tour and visited uh, service members deployed overseas. Uh, they went to Germany, Romania and um, one other place in Europe where we have military bases. And I'm like, they're not deployed. They're stationed. And I don't know why it bothered me. But it's yeah. this concept of like when you yeah. say they're deployed, they're in a forward area, they're in a dangerous area. That no, they're not. They're stationed yeah. in Europe. They yeah. couldn't yeah. be further from danger if they tried. They're yeah. Yeah. to a bar than to a bullet. And yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's just little things like that. That co-opting bothers me. And yeah, we sit yeah. here and talk. You know, and and I opened up this show with what I hoped was something eloquent about about your late husband. You know that sort of lore that grows. It's almost like. You know, even me to a certain extent, I'd love to do this little expose on the line of Fallujah. It's like, well, I didn't really talk to you about this ahead of time. I didn't really ask you what your feelings were on. I just want to tell the story of Doug. Mm -hmm. And some of that sometimes can be like, hey, you know, we'd like to be left alone and and go on with our lives without people constantly, you know, bringing Mm -hmm. Doug into things. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Like, I, I do say no when I want to say no. Um, And I it just depends on. I mean, like I looked at your background and stuff. I'm like, okay, he seems pretty cool, but it's like, I, <laughs> Glad I, I, the bar. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't say yes to everything I'm asked to do. Like that's, that's the answer. Like being able to balance, like my therapist told me a long time ago, she's like, Pam, this is going to be the most difficult. You, you have a difficult journey ahead of you. Like with Doug's legacy, like being able to live your life in your present. And balance that past with the future legacy of Doug and develop a new identity for yourself. 
Like, so I, I did another podcast a few months back and I talked about this concept of identity reconstruction. And like, and there's, it's a study and this guy, I forget the exact name of the study, but, um, but it's a research paper. So if I don't quote it, like it's, it's in there, but it, there's a research on it called identity reconstruction. It's not my, it's not my concept to someone else's. And um, so basically like I looked at that, I'm like, it, it was done on military widows and how, how hard it is to, to like go from military spouse to military widow and then from military widow to civilian life. Like you, we do two different transitions and that one from military, civ- military widow to civilian is so difficult because of these legacies that we carry with us. And like Memorial Day is a big holiday. I mean, they were even talking about making like another national holiday, like Gold Star Family National Holiday and closing down like the country for that holiday. And I'm like, we don't want another holiday. <laughs> like we need to live our lives, right? Like it's it's just so much. Like, yes, we know we're respected and un- and we know our we want to honor our loved ones, but we have Memorial Day and that's when we do it. But it's like the boundaries, we got to set boundaries around those things. And you know, you're right. I, I, Doug's like, I mean, right now there's a movie that's going to be made probably. And so it's like, we, there's always something, there's always something. I'm just, I, 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 I'm not going to say, I, sometimes I don't have any control over that. I don't. Cause he's, cause Doug is gone. Doug is gone. And guess what? His information is public knowledge. And what anyone does with this, I have no legal right to it. Like, unless my name is attached to it. So anyone can do anything they want with his information. Like I, I yeah. So hopefully out of respect for the family, they don't, they won't. Yeah, but. I, I think that that is sort of lost in the chase for the almighty dollar at times. And yeah. I mean, what would Doug say if they were making a movie about him? He, again, he would be like, what's the big deal? <laughs> or nobody would say, he would say, okay. Um, hopefully they're going to have, some hot guy playing, you know, <laughs> no. what, see, what, 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 the better question would and have hopefully been, they're okay, who's playing Pam? You. right. Who's playing Pam should have been the first question. All right. Who's playing Pam? That's all I care no, about. No, no, no. Nobody would say, you know what I would say? He would say, honey, there's no one that is as beautiful as you that could play. <laughs> Smart. See again, he's, he's, he's absolutely, uh, buttering you up right there. It's fantastic. But no, he would be like, what are they going to, what are they, how are they going to present my Marines? Like, how are they going to present my Marines? That would be, that's what he would say. Like, are they going to show my Marines and their, and their valor and what they did in combat and how they, you know, how they killed all these terrorists and how they saved each other, how they worked side by side to make sure the mission was accomplished. Like, that's what he would say about the movie. Are my Marines being served well? Um, I want to read these real quick just for the audience and, and you can Google okay. it on the internet. Um, but it's principles. My father taught me that, uh, yeah. that Doug had wrote, uh, and mm-hmm. I'll fly through them very quickly, but you can spend more time with them. Be a man of principle, fight for what you believe in, keep your word, live with integrity, be brave, believe in something bigger than yourself, serve your country, teach, mentor, give something back to society, lead from the front, conquer your fears, be a good friend, be humble and self-confident, appreciate your friends and family, be a leader, not a follower. Be valorous in the field of battle and take responsibility for your actions and never forget those that were killed and never let rest those that killed them. Um, boy, Doug's dad is impressive. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and, and the one, you know, when I read through all those, the take responsibility for your actions one was the one that always jumps out to me um, mm-hmm. because it is the hallmark of good leadership sure. uh, that, that, you know, 
uh, owning responsibility for the things that you're in charge of is, is paramount. And there's a lot of finger pointing that goes yeah. on nowadays. And it's very easy to, to create narratives that aren't necessarily factual, mm-hmm. but there's not enough of, Hey, that's on me. That's, yeah. that's yeah. me. You know, I, I stand there and take responsibility and, and, you know, um, what I've read from Doug's Marines is that, you know, that was never in question because Doug's leadership was never in question. You know, if there was something wrong, Doug would absolutely tell people that it was, I made the mistake and, and be cognizant of it and correct it and go forward. And then oh, yeah. it's a, it's a pretty all encompassing list to say the least when, when, you know, I don't, I don't know the first time you came across that list, but I was wondering what your reaction was to it. Oh, I, I have known it. I knew that was the moment I met him. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we would talk about it all the time. Like, these are my prayers. This is what we live by. Live with integrity. We have to live with integrity. If you don't have integrity, you have nothing. Like do the right thing when no one's watching. Are you doing the right thing? I mean, it's like every day. And humble, uh, oh babe, one of the your your best quality is that you don't even know how beautiful you are. You're humble but self confident. I mean, like he would just spout them out at like you know like random times. But there are a few on there that aren't listed that. Oh, <laughs> that are pretty cool. <laughs> like he, he has a whole book of quotes. You don't even know how many quotes. Yeah. He's had. I mean, like one of my other favorite ones is like something is better than nothing. Like, I don't know what, why I love that so much, but it helps me stay focused and on track because if you're a perfectionist type, like we kind of both were, Doug and I were, especially when you're trying to get things accomplished, if you just get something done, like, like the, the famous guy, the, one of the, one of the, uh, a general, uh, the, the, uh, the video on YouTube, just make your bed, right? How, how, yep. how successful you can be from making your bed. Like something is better than nothing. And another one that he would write about, another one that he would always do is, um, um, just, oh, do the right thing. Just do the right thing. He would just say that all the time. Did you do the right thing? Oh, did something bad happen? Oh, did you do the right thing? I don't think I did. Well, that's why something bad happened. So you think about it. If people just live their lives according to those principles, I mean, it's like they're almost like, I mean, I don't know. And it's interesting. Like, I I feel like he, Doug wasn't like, he was very spiritual in a different way. He wasn't very biblical. Like, he didn't read a lot of Bible stuff and those things. He was just very spiritual, though. Um. But his quotes, like if you if you look, it's interesting. Like now that I do some stuff with that, and and when I look and I read, oh my gosh, like Doug was biblical, and he didn't even know it. It's like, and I don't want to. I'm not comparing him to like the people that wrote the Bible, but I know that those came from his mind and right. not from reading like another. Because anything that he quoted from someone else, he would put their name next to it. But those prints, like literally, Mark, the moment we started dating he would tout those principles off in some way or another. You know, when you said something is better than nothing, um, the first thought that popped into my head was you and Fallon. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you mourn the life that you don't have with him. Yeah. Something is better than nothing. Fallon doesn't know a life yeah. from dad, but something is better than nothing. And I, that's the first thought that popped into my head. Oh, yeah. I can't something imagine. very prophetic. <laughs> yeah. I, I say that to myself now. I'm like, you know. I mean, at least I had them for as much time as I did have them. And, and anyone would tell you that, that has met him through the years, like spending 10 minutes with him feels like you spent like two weeks. I mean, that's how influential he was to other people and just listening to him. He was just fascinating. He just did stuff that he came up with. I'm like, 
where did you come up with that? Like, it's, it's like our conversation sometimes. I'm just like, wh- where did that come from? <laughs> you just, it just, you just don't, I mean, like he had this mind that was just mm-hmm. so Spartan and so King Leonidas, like leadership and just like a, I don't know, like his friend, I saw his friend a couple weeks ago at his 50th birthday party. And his one friend was like, dog, like his arms were longer than his kneecaps. And I'm like, they were not longer than his kneecaps. And so like, why do we, because because he was just so, he was just so full of life and he would grab you with those arms and he'd wrap his arms around you. And maybe he thought that in his mind, like, hey, like his arms have to be longer than his kneecaps if they can reach all around and like hold me like that, right? <laughs> but no, they weren't. So I sent them a picture of him. His arms are not longer than his kneecaps. <laughs> right, right. Um, I wanted to ask you about two other things. Um, tell me the story about you training for the Marine Corps Marathon and how you happened to run into another very influential person who, who, uh, you know, it was serendipity that he also knew Doug. Okay. What, I, love, I love this story. When you which were tra- marathon? Which the Marine Corps marathon in 2007, right after he was killed. Who did I run, to, run into in there? You I, ran I, into Travis Mannion's father while you were Oh, running. okay. Okay. Not at the actual marathon. That's what I was Right. Right. Sorry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so Doug Russell, like Doug knew Travis at the academy. Not he did not go to school with him. He graduated many years before him. But he he would go and help uh, one of the assist, assistant coach shared at the time with wrestling. And him and, and Travis wrestled against each other and actually uh, became friends. And two weeks before Doug passed away, Travis was tragically killed in Iraq on April 29th. And so um, Doug called me and told me that in the uh, country had lost an amazing American today. And he was pretty sad by it. We just talked about it for a little bit. And, and then like two weeks later, Doug passes away and I hadn't really been in com- contact with any, anybody from the Manu family at all. But, um, but so I decided like when Doug's a couple of Doug's Marines, Ed, as least one of them and Ben Wagner came to visit me, they were running the marathon that year in 2007. They're like, Hey Pam, you should do it with us. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so I, live very close to the BNA trail. And, um, and so I was just, I was training on just one hot Saturday morning, which is the worst marathon training ever and um, running. And all of a sudden I see this gentleman in front of me and he has like this Travis Mannion t-shirt on and running in memory of Travis. It said something to, to that effect. And so I walk up behind him and I was like, you know what, I'm going to run beside him and like, see who he is. And I don't know, something made me do it. And I tapped him on the shoulder and I was like, hi, did you know Travis? And he was like, yes, he was my son. And I looked at him and we just, I looked back and I said, I'm, I'm Pam Zembeck, Doug's widow. And he was like, he stopped and he's, and then we just started talking about the two of them and the wrestling and just ran together for like a mile and had a really nice conversation. I can't specifically like state exactly what was said because I was kind of a, a very long time ago now, but um, that there started our relationship. So I've known the Mayans now for several years and they're a great, wonderful family. And uh, running a marathon is another way <laughs> to pound out the pavement and, and work through loss. So, I mean, uh, what's serendipity? I mean, it's just, you I know, know. Uh, I read that story and I just thought it was amazing. I'm like, wow, you know, God works in mysterious ways, right? You know, if you're spiritual or anything else, yeah. there's yeah, a reason right. God connected the two of you there um, and, and the two Marines yeah. that, that are posthumously 
being spoken about, you know, are, are it's just, it's, it's incredible to me. I, I respect them so much because I, I like, I was so, I was so distraught and in oblivion when Doug passed away. I wasn't thinking clearly. I had a daughter raised. It was just a different situation. And I really like, I respect the fact that they took their pain and they immediately, immediately placed that pain into a purpose-driven path by, by starting the Travis Mayer Foundation. And I, like, if, if you look back on many of the nonprofits that are started, many of them are started through others' pain and, and, and trying to make a difference and remember their loved ones. But I just, it was, that wasn't my path. That wasn't my direction, but what they have done with that foundation from the moment Travis passed away, they, that foundation was started. And I tell you what, like, I look back on it. I'm like, if only I had done that, but then I'm like, no, it was their, that was their path. That was their direction. Mine's different. I had a daughter to raise, but I like, oh, how did they do that? Like, I couldn't even like get out of bed sometimes. It's like, I have so much respect for them. I really do. Um, I want to ask you about, and I'm, I'm going to, I might butcher his last name here, but Eric Kapitulik, did I say that correctly? Um, Eric Kapitulik. Kapitulik, sorry. Kapitulik. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, sorry, Eric, when, when, when you watch this and listen to this. Um, <laughs> he gave the eulogy at Doug's funeral. Uh, yeah. I read it. Um, I, I, I didn't know if there were parts where I was supposed to laugh. Uh, he had a, a few good punchlines in there that felt like it was moments of levity. Yes. Um, so I, I, I was like, that seems like it's going to be funny. I'm trying to imagine myself laughing at a funeral. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I, he, I think he did an amazing job at encapsulating mm-hmm. Doug. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he was very humble in, in the whole entire thing. I, I enjoyed how he kept getting knocked down on the list of uh, important yeah. places in Doug's life. Uh, <laughs> you, you ran the top of uh, ran to the top of very quickly. But, you know, um I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go back and read it again. Um, yeah. But it's just, wow. I mean, you know, if, if there was ever a way to, um, you know, bring a lot of emotions together in one moment uh, and in a moment that, that was filled with sadness, uh, that, that's as good as a eulogy as I think you'll ever get. Yeah, he did. He did do an amazing job. He did. It was, it was hard that was a hard task to pick someone of Doug's best friends because he did. He, like I said before, he had a list of everything and he had a list of the tops and it was, it was difficult <laughs> for me to choose. And I got a little bit of backlash on who I chose, but I gave them my reasons and they were very understanding and Cap just isn't, he's a really good speaker. And so were Doug's other friends, but the cat, Cap just, he was, him and Doug were a very unique friendship <laughs> and Cap and I had a very loving relationship for a long time. He was always trying to like tear him away from me. <laughs> I was like, but then like now it's, we're, 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 we're good friends and everything, but it's like, I felt, I don't know, like everything inside of me was like, Cap needs to do this. Cap needs to do this. But yeah, he did an amazing, amazing job. And he is, he's Fallon's godfather, by the way. So, um, yeah, so that is, and yeah, he's everybody, everybody deals with their trauma differently and everybody deals with grief differently. But, um, I knew there was something about him that I knew that he could get up there and he could speak to the crowd and he could take, 
this trauma and this tragedy and shed a little light and share like some of the funny times because he and Doug had several funny times together. I mean, the first marathon that Doug talked me into running untrained, hung over <laughs> with him. Um, <laughs> Cap was there on the phone. He was running on the phone talking to Cap. Well, I was like, I can't stand both of you. But anyway, so Cap just, he's just a good dude. And and um, he's now, like, he took a little bit of time to, like, to, like, figure out his life. And he's now married with two beautiful children. And um, and we just visited him. And Fallon went to look for up at a college in Boston. And he's like, he went with us, actually, college hunting. And he was, it was, it was very, it was awesome. But, but yeah, like, did you, are you talking about the time? Did you, did you read the part where he made everybody do like the arm circles and stuff like that? Like, yeah, uh, the- I, read, I, read, I read the whole thing. It, it, just, <laughs> it, it wasn't a, there, again, I, I try, I tried not to laugh, but I'm like, I, I, that sounds like it's funny. Yeah, uh, people were I, I, it's where I, I first saw you coined as the Nordic Ice Princess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I said, oh, okay. Uh, apparently they get along really well. <laughs> well, no, that's what Doug used to call me. Because- yeah, look, I, you know, I, I, again, I, it took me a little, you know, more, more than, you know, several articles to put a lot of this together. To really, like, damn, it's coming I'm in. not an Ice Princess anymore. Like oh. I, I used to be because he used to like, you're like I'm not gonna put up with your baloney. Right. <laughs> that's why I was an ice princess because I could turn him off like a switch, and he wasn't used to that. But that's the type of personality that him he needed at the time. Because think about it, Mark. If I wouldn't have been adamant about the timeline for marriage and fought him with this and said, "Listen, this is my timeline, and that's yours. We need to compromise." That's the beginnings of a relationship and a marriage, anyway. <laughs> and we wouldn't have Fallon. We wouldn't have Fallon. Sure. He would have died before Fallon was born. So I'm like, this was all meant to happen. Like, I, I mean, like I look at this now as, I mean, I miss that guy every day. I think about him every day. I have his, I have his female replica living with me. So, I mean, (laughs) but I mean, it's, it's very, I think about him joyously. I do. I think about him joyously and I don't feel sorry for myself. Like he would, I mean, there are times when I did and, and, and I have that right because you're right when you're yeah, grieving of course. You and, and a lot of us and everybody grieves differently. If you take one thing out of the grief process and you already said it, Mark, like everybody's different, but idiosyncratic bereavement process for every single person, it's everybody's story, no matter if we're all similar and no matter if we're all like military wives and we all have similar warrior ethos and, and military backgrounds and stuff like that, we're all going to have differences in grief. And, you know, it took me a long time to, I will say that my, my purpose through pain started with TOF, with our adoption foundation. And that's when I started not being angry anymore because I, I started realizing there's a bigger calling and a bigger purpose to this trauma and this pain that I need to share with others and I need to help and make a difference. So, um, but yeah, but Eric Kapitulik, yeah, he's, he's still around. He's still around. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Um, You know, at his memorial service at the Navy uh, Naval Academy, yeah. In the chapel there. Uh, it's written that one of his Marines remarked, you have to follow the orders of your officers, but you don't have to show up to their funeral. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there were a lot of them there. And, and, you know, that resonated with me so much. You know, I mean, you know, personal anecdote, you know, I'm at the end of my military career here. I got a couple of years left and oh. I have it 24 years. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out how, it, how it's all going to end. But 
you know, in, in a smaller level, it was very poignant because I've thought about, you know, the ending and I've thought about, you know, those moments, those big moments. Who were the people who were there at those big moments in your career, right? Who really showed you the support and everything else. Uh, and for those folks to show up, you know, um, those Marines to show up when they could have been a variety of other places or could have just said, Hey, it's too painful. I don't want to be there. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to go through this pain, um, for them all to show up there, uh, in retrospect, you know, how much does that really kind of warm your heart and, and speak volumes about the leader that Doug was? Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's, I always, I think about that a lot with, uh, with his Marines and, and it's, even to this day, this day now, like they still reach out to me and they still want to be friends on Facebook. And, and I don't do a lot of social media. I do a little bit, but I, I feel like it's my obligation, like moving through this process, helping them like with how much that they cared about their leader. Like they still, they still do things to remember him like all the time on on the anniversary date. And like that, the influences that he had on the Marines that he served, that served with him. Like, and I say that, and I say that meaningly, he served them too. They served each other. They were brothers. And it doesn't have to like, it doesn't have to be that way. Like Doug, Doug never, Doug served by what was in his heart and not by the rank on his sleeve, which I think that's the way you need to be if you want your men to come to your funeral. And (laughs) <laughs> and that's Again, you have to relate to them you have to be empathetic they they yeah. have to, they have to mm-hmm. understand you as a person not just a leader in order mm-hmm. for them to want to uh to show that respect um I'd, li- I'd like to finish with just a couple of things about you and questions about you uh sure. because i it, you know first of all thank you for expounding on doug um it, it it warms my heart and it's it's great to hear so much about him. Uh, mm-hmm. as I said at the top, you know, my only regret is that I never got a chance to meet with him and serve with him or anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, um, do you still have really bad days? Cause you're doing a really good job on the surface. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. I still have bad days. I, I mean, everybody has bad days, but I sure, time specifically <laughs> related to Doug. Do you have bad days? Not the way I used to. Like I used to scream it out loud and like want to punch him in the face. But it's like, why are you leaving me here with this crazy seventeen-year-old child? This is like driving me crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do still have bad days. The answer to your question is yes. And the bad days are, are around May. They they start that whole month of May. Like I feel myself moving into that space that I only create once a year now which used to be there about 12 times, which used to be there every day, like 365 days a year, that then decreased to half the year, that then then decreased to a quarter. And then you're talking once a month. And then you're talking, um, you know, maybe a couple of times a year. And now it's only in May. Like I really feel, um, I really get, I really have some bad days because I'm brought back there. I'm brought back to that place, that space. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, and you feel, and, and, you know, you come to this point in, in your life where you're like, okay, like I, like Fallon's graduating. Like he's not there for the graduation. Who's going to walk her down the aisle? Like uh, you know, she's got a boyfriend now. Like 
I mean, who's here to like punch him in the face if he does something disrespectful? I mean, like, and not not that he would. He would never punch him in the face. That's just a no. Doug, Doug probably had a fear <laughs> physical. He's scared to put the fear of God yes, in this yeah. child, in this young man. Yep. yep you know, I yep. do. Like, Valen tells me that I scare him, <laughs> so I guess I'm doing a good job. But I mean, who's? I mean, and the like when I had to teach her how to drive. I mean, I was so angry at him and mad at him. Like, you should be doing this, not me. But that's about it. I mean, I, I, I mean, like, I I feel like I'm in a good place where I can actually take what I have learned and give it to others, right? Um, do you still have to be the Spartan mother? Do you still have to be the Spartan wife? Do you still have to hold that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've re- and I ask because you've referenced it so much. And part of me feels like, and I'll, I'll make some assumptions here, you mm-hmm. let that down, you feel like you might be letting Doug down. Right. Like you, you were given that, that crown, that title, but, and to take it off consciously would be sort of dishonoring him. Is there any of that? Um, a little bit. I'm a little more relaxed these days. Like I'm a little more accepting of myself. Like I'm accepting of my, I'm very, I'm much more empathetic. I, I don't, I take, I feel like, I, I feel like we have to be, more understanding of others and more empathy needs to be involved in relationships and like the type a personality that was so great when I was married to Doug, like you would think that he was totally type a, but he wasn't, I mean, he, he was in many ways, but he was, he had some B qualities as well. He had a good mix. So I feel like through this process, I've become to be more accepting of myself, even though I still have Spartan in me, like as far as working out goes, definitely. Um, as far as eating healthy, definitely. As far as being a parent, I'm my daughter has taught me some valuable lessons to be more empathetic. She has she has inherited his empathy traits. And um sometimes like I just I don't know, like I feel like we need to understand that no one is perfect in this world. And, and I am not going to be the perfect Spartan wife and neither. I mean, the only perfect, there's, there's no perfection in humanity. I mean, there's, there's none. So I've been able to let my guard down a little bit, especially working with others and trying, I mean, as far as this therapeutic process goes, like I wouldn't be able to go into this profession if I hadn't been able to understand that, I am empathetic and I am understanding and I am accepting and, but I still have my moral code and my values that I can bracket. <laughs> so right. does that make sense? Is that, well, the right. I mean, it's, it's evolving. We're all it's coming. evolving. It's a, but it's, but it's continually evolving. We're all evolving, right? I mean, we're all changing. I mean, you're going to, you're evolving. I mean, I mean, just because, we've gone through puberty to me are still evolving. <laughs> right. Yeah. In certain cases, I feel like I'm devolving certain days, <laughs> just, you, know, you know, hustling backwards, so to speak. Yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. When dealing with my child, I feel like I'm the child sometimes. <laughs> um, is there looking back, I know you talked about giving yourself a little bit more grace, but is there anything that you wish you had done differently in your grieving process? Oh, 100%. I, Foremost, I, I wish that I would have been giving myself more grace then, like I'm giving myself grace now. And uh, what I did that is the worst thing you can do for the grieving process is I I 
I avoided the pain of the loss, which is the first step in the mourning process. And like, there are no stages of grief. Like that's just the perception. Like grief is not linear. Grief is a big mixed up ball of jumbo lumbo that goes in and out and backwards, forwards and inside and out. And like, I did not feel the pain of the loss. Like I put it all inside and I just let myself like pretend like Doug didn't die. I mean, I literally thought that really literally like made myself believe that he was just deployed. And so a year after loss, I lost it. Like I lost it. Like I had to be hospitalized for like panic attacks, which are the, the, psych- the physical, the physical effects of, of harboring grief, um, anxiety. I thought, I thought like I was having a heart attack. I was dehydrated from running too much. I was running my body down to the ground because that was my coping mechanism to run. And instead of letting out the pain. And so, and like on some of my runs, I did let the pain out, but if I can give anybody like, if, like, like I, when I talk to my, my newly bereaved spouses now, I'm like, or partners, I'm like, listen, like, you've got to feel this pain. You are not Spartan right now. Like Sparta, Spartan needs to, we need to get Spartan out of the picture. Like Sparta needs to like on break right now and you need to feel the pain of the grief. So if I could change anything, that would be it. And also like, if I would have had someone to tell me not to buy two new cars in the matter of two months, like a dum-dum and then return one, like, <laughs> like, so yeah, I was very, oh, <laughs> anger depression bargaining purchasing cars was not in yes. the stages of grief well well it's called this is what it's called mark it's called filling a void that can't be filled okay. because your world is shattered it's shattered so yeah. you try and fill this void with constant stuff like the you know how you get it like if you break remember like the only way i can describe it is if you ever broke up with someone and you're like in, in your young in years and you're like okay i'm gonna go buy a new outfit at the mall shopping makes me feel good temporarily so like I did that a lot. Like I did a lot of stuff that I like wish I wouldn't have done. There's retail therapy. Then there's making lavish investments. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, that retail was kind therapy. of dumb. My financial advisor was like, um, "Please take the car back." So I did. <laughs> I took the car back. So. Smart move. <laughs> uh, you you have said the word shattered several times, and this is where I wanted to ask you. And I know <laughs> that you have talked about you know Doug's death as a quote shattering. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's an appropriate term because it's got that sort of onomatopoeia, if you will, that sort of visual of things breaking and it's irreparable. Um, In that vein, I I don't think you try to put all the pieces of glass back together that have shattered, but do we replace it with a new piece of glass ever or no? Like, where are you with the shattering? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Mark, you, yeah. But did you go to school for grief and bereavement? <laughs> no, I'm just really messed up. I've had a lot of practice at, at you know, uh, dealing with crap. So, uh. <laughs> so yeah, there is a technique. There's a Chinese technique. Like, it's, I forget the exact words of it, but no, yeah. So, yeah. So, that's what I described. Like, it, it is a shattering. Like, your whole world is like, like I said, I was the happiest I've ever been in my life. And the whole, my whole world was shattered by Doug's death. And um can you hear my dog bark? I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. Go ahead. Uh, okay, okay. So um so basically you learn with the shot when your world is shattered, like through like like the journaling, like writing my book, like developing better habits, like learn how to put some of the you take some of the pieces 
and you incorporate them into this new identity that you're building as a widow and then as a civilian, and then you add pieces. So exactly, but it looks like a whole nother, it looks like an entirely different piece of art, like an entirely different work of art, like your life. And it's a continual process. Like it never, it never ends. Like you continually add pieces back and forth. You take some out, like, for example, like you might have been on, uh, had a bunch of military friends on base and your world shattered. Like you probably aren't going to be friends with those people anymore. So you have to learn how to develop a new life and develop new friendships. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's rebuilding. And you, when your world shattered, you have to rebuild, like rebuilding a house, you're rebuilding your life yeah. and it's a continual process with lots of mistakes back and forth. The Catholic and you would understand the pretty stained glass <laughs> window to making a mosaic of little broken glass colored pieces. Right. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. kind of what you're doing. Um, yeah. You know, listen, it's a very appropriate term and, and I'm glad you've been able to um, coin it that way. Cause at least it can, you know, it, it gives a reference point for you, you know, like, and, and it, and it gives context to other people and it's understanding and, you know, we all know what it feels like, quote, to have our world shattered on some level, uh, even yeah. if it's not the same level of yours, but it's relatability. And I think that's a big part of, of going through grief is trying to find somebody who can relate to what you're feeling and, and, uh, yeah. and get on your level. So, yeah, yeah, not being isolated is key. Like, that's one of the biggest, that's, that's a big problem with complications from grief, the isolation, the isolation factor. And, and so, like, yeah, I mean, even veterans transitioning to the civilian world, like, they're, I mean, isolation, they're away from their guys, like their whole new world, like they're, it's all interrelated. Like understanding military culture is a big, is a, we need, we yeah. need more people to understand no. this. <laughs> uh, you know, final, final thing here, when you talk about, you know, um, relating and everything else, I, I'm just kind of curious and, and trust me, this is not, not a humble brag, but like does doing something like this and meeting somebody like me who's never met Doug and anything else, does it bring connectivity to you? in any way like does it does it give you any sort of you know uh and you can trust me you can say no it's not like you're not offending me but i'm just curious (laughs) you talk about the the connectivity like again never having met doug never knowing doug just learning about him recently and wanting to learn more does that Mm -hmm. does coming across somebody like that ever help the grief or does it sort of sting a little bit more and you know right now it helps like i'm it makes my heart smile actually that you're you really want to look into him and read about him and know about him and understand his leadership qualities. I mean, there is reading about Doug is going to do a lot of good for a lot of people. I mean, like he, I will tell you, and you read it in, in Eric, um, eulogy, like knowing him made me a better person. He made me a better person. So like, this is what I'm saying, like to others, like being a better person, is like learning new things is and knowing about him it makes me happy uh one final note and this is just a personal uh uh personal and selfish piece of advice write write doug's book i want to read it write write his book for him (laughs) right have somebody write it for him take everything take all of his knowledge and download it for the rest of us I know I'm trying. Well, we're trying to, we have one of his friends who's actually doing like a whole research on it and trying to like do, do it. I mean, like I, the, the book I wrote is more about us for our daughter. Like, yes, we need like somebody to come in. So we have one, one of his friends is actually trying to work on that right now. So yeah. I mean, worst, like worst case scenario, like I've thought about just making a book of his quotes. Yeah. Like, like I'd like a short, 
Yeah, yeah. I agree, one hundred percent. It'd be yeah. worth it. So sign me up. Uh, I'll buy it, send it to you, and I like it on our an autograph uh, copy. So. Okay, awesome, awesome. Look, I, I've taken up so much of your time, but I'm I'm so glad that you were were so you know graceful and, and willing to do this and 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 to share your story and Doug's story. Um, I, I hope that you know the more people I have on that serve with Doug, it can continue to fill in some more of the spots there about him as the, the actual Marine and everything else and, and the service member that he was. And I, I just can't thank you enough. This has been enlightening. Um, I'll remember this for a really long time and uh, I'll continue to read about Doug. I promise I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Doug Z fan. So for me, Doug Z, I just, uh, I, I can't, uh, I can't get enough at this point. So I'll dive deep in. <laughs> um, well, good. Let me know if you need any more help with who you're trying to, I, I appreciate that. Nothing but the best for you and Fallon. Continued blessings and everything else. And, and one day at a time for both of you and stick together. And uh, um, and we'll awesome. continue to celebrate Doug as best we can. All right. Thanks, Mark. Nice talking to you. Nice getting to know you. Pam Zembeck, thanks for being a part of the Hazard Ground. You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at hazardground.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.